With thanks to the city of Brimbank across our neighbourhood and the world, the Sports Hour with Max Hadzoglu on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Hello and welcome to the Sports Hour on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Great to have your company. I'm your host, Max Hadzoglu, and I cannot wait to share today's show with you today. We're going to get the Western Region Junior Cricket Association President Chris Hatzestavru on to talk a little bit about how they've been able to get through the season through COVID-19 and get kids out onto the park in the west of Melbourne. Then we're going to get Connor Kennedy on, who's going to talk a little bit about cold showers and why they're so important and good for your health. Then we're going to get Patrick Morrow on, who's going to talk to us a little bit about the world of cricket. There's been some interesting events happening there. And then... He's also going to chat to us a little bit about the A-League and whether it should be played in the winter or summer. At the moment, it's in the summer, and uh, that's going to be an interesting discussion. So look forward to that. And we're going to round it out with Charlie Gill, who we're going to tune into and uh, hear from him uh, and uh, what he's got to say about climate change in sport. And uh, there's been something that appeared to our minds uh, that we want to have a chat about today where Pat Cummins, Australian fast bowler, uh, put light to climate change and how temperatures are expected to rise to very high temperatures by 2040, which may affect sport. Um, But all in all, just tune into that. That's going to be an interesting conversation and, uh, yeah, get excited for that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed today's show and, uh, once again, thanks for tuning in. So we're going to begin today's show by talking to Patrick Morrow. There's been plenty happening in the world of sport and there's no better man to bring into the show right now and chat a little bit about it. Patrick Morrow, welcome to the Sports Hour. How are you going? Very good, mate. Absolute pleasure again to be on. Uh, It's been a big week in sport. Uh, So, yeah. It has been. Yeah. And um, we'll kick it off with a bit in the cricket. There's been a little bit happening in India uh, between the English test team and India. there was a, quite an interesting game that happened. Um, it was the quickest test match conclusion since 1935, um, yeah. which is quite remarkable. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that game and uh, what transpired? Yes, yeah, okay. So uh, it was a very bizarre test match. Um, Akshar Patel, the guy who took uh, 10 wickets for the game, five wickets for multiple ball. Uh, now that I'm taking wickets, no one is making fun of my batting. So uh, he's he's happy about his bowling effort. But uh, to, to beats the point. Um, the test match was a day-night test match. It was the third test match of the series in Anandabad. Um, they redeveloped the stadium. So it's actually a, it's a brand-new stadium in a way. And the pitch, well, it was an odd one. It, it spun from ball one. Um, even the pink ball didn't didn't get immune by the, ball, by the pitch. Uh, the pitch was kicking up dust on early day two and England were bowled out for 112 and then India replied stumps on day one to three for 99. Um, and building enough, James Anderson, Stuart Broad had the ball swinging around, around all the gates. So that was a bit of an odd one. And then Joe Root takes five for eight and England bowled out India for about 140 odd to have a lead of about 35. Then England lose the first two wickets for no runs. And it looks like we're going to go for an innings defeat here at one stage. There was a possibility if they're going to beat New Zealand's lowest total, but they don't. So they end up getting bowled for 81. And India chased down 49 to win on the second innings. That looked 
an easy target in, in theoretical terms, but because this pitch was just playing um, so bizarrely and so, uh, you know, I'd say, or I'd argue that it would, it's just a, a disgraceful pitch. Um, you can't, can't describe it. And I think Tom Morris not nail on the head. It's bad for test cricket um, to have a test, have a test match finish in two days um, is pretty bad. And I think the ICC need to have a look into uh, the standard of pitches in the subcontinent and understand and go, well, you know, we understand it's going to spin and turn and bounce and the weather has a lot to do with the factors of how they make the pitch. But at the same time, you've got to make it fair for the away team. Uh, a lot of people are arguing that, you know, England and Australia don't complain when it's seeming around. Well, the difference is, is that the pit game isn't done on day two. Um, everyone remembers the horrible 2015 test match at Trent Bridge between England versus Australia. And that test match wasn't done till late day three. So, you know... It just makes a lot of sense to just, you know, they must have underdone the pitch or the curator got a nice $100 note uh, thrown down his pocket by Coley. So, yeah, it's an odd one. <laughs> yeah, and um, going into that game, the commentators were often pointing out how England only played one spinner and they only picked one spinner for the test because uh, India bowled in the first innings, uh, in the first they lost the uh, England won the toss and batted, I think, and um, India bowled first. And the commentators just went on about how uh, England only played one spinner, and then um, and then the Joe Root takes Fifer. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. maybe that maybe Joe Root should be um, picked as a spinner, and uh, that that should be actually respected rather than calling him just a batter. <laughs> yeah, well, the odd thing about that is the first uh, English captain take a five wicket haul since Bob Willis. So um, that's a while back. Um, that's, in the, that's in the 80s. So for him to do that, even he was saying the pitch was just too too um, spin or spin orientated. So, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting one. I think we discussed for a while and I think the ICC need to come hard on the BCCI and tell them, guys, you got to just dish up yeah. a pitch that's going to spin from ball one. You need to dish up something where the batsmen are going to have a go the pink ball's going to do enough and then the spin can come into a day four and day three and day five and I'm okay with that. Um, and, I've, and, and, and you know, we've all seen bad pitches around the world and, you know, there's been horrible ones in local cricket in Australia. Um, but the difference with that is they're not being paid for it so no one really arcs up. But when it's when it's an international tournament or, you know, test match or a T20 or ODI and, you know, yeah. the pitch is not doing what it should be doing... Um, that's where, you know, from a just a neutral point of view is I just shake my head out and go, well, that shouldn't be the way. And England England have the right to play on a fair wicket. And, you know, at the same time, India are allowed to play on their home conditions all they want. But at the same time, they need to make sure that, excuse me, it's not, um, not too unfair to the away team. It needs to be enough. So it makes it look like it's not too dodgy, but not, you know, at the same time. It's, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a... Uh, tricky situation that I think the curators had and I think they've just bucketed it up. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah look, I, I would be, I'd be a hundred percent sold on the, um, you know, uh, I would be a hundred percent sold that about the like opinion that it's a bad pitch. Um, if it was in England and the ball was seeming around and, and the quicks were, um, you know, just getting ridiculous bounce and stuff like that, um, where players were getting hurt. But 
Um, because this one was very spin-friendly, it's not as dangerous for the batters. They're not going to get a big bruise or, you know, broken bones. Um, so, in a way, I was sort of, like, it got me a little bit excited and, like, it made me turn on the test match. It made me want to watch it a little bit more and, and stay up and just watch it for a little bit longer. Um, mm. I think it, it was a bad pitch for test cricket, but... I don't mind every now and then it's exciting when you get a pitch like this and the whole world just opens their eyes to it and goes, wow, like this is incredible. This scorecard's incredible. I know in New Zealand um, earlier in the year, their pitches like typically have a bit more grass on it, but there's one pitch in New Zealand that was just totally green. It was ridiculous and I couldn't believe it. And it just it sort of stops a lot of people and uh, gathers their attention, which which is the aspect I like about it. But obviously, um, I don't want to see this on a regular basis. Um, but every now and then, I don't mind the curators stuffing up a bit just to bring a little bit of quirkiness to the game and something different. Um, but obviously, I'm definitely um, sold on the idea that we can't have these pitches <laughs> week in, week out, or else cricket will probably not be well. It won't be that popular and not many people would play it. It feels like that. Um, so uh, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, it wasn't a good pitch. You, you want test matches to go for longer than two days, um, but it just brought a little bit of excitement and it, um, it, you know, it, it, it put test cricket on the news agendas and, um, created a bit of a spark, which, which I didn't mind. Um, yeah. but, uh, now, Patrick, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what's going on in the soccer world, in the A-League. Um, there's some surprising teams that are just doing so well this year. Uh, did you want to tell us a little bit about what you've seen so far in this A-League season, uh, the premier soccer competition or football competition in Australia? Yeah, so Central Coast uh, are top of the ladder in the A-League. Uh, what a surprise and what a comeback from them. And yeah. um, I'm, I fully congrats to the organisation for getting this rebuild going and the likes of Daniel Silva, who is a top player for him, and he's getting linked to play for Europe. There's a, there was odd, it was odd rumours going around. He might get a uh, look in at Frankfurt or one of the German sides, but unfortunately it hasn't come through. But, you know, it's great to see those types getting a run, homegrown talent, um, you know, playing really well for Central Coast and they're, you know, deservedly be on top. They've been quality team. And another one's MacArthur FC, the new boys. Uh, they're staring up a few clubs and I think they're staging up on Melbourne City's turf as well of being that premier club of having the marquee signings. And uh, MacArthur FC are kind of doing what City were doing. Um, so they're, they're giving a run for the money. They're third at the moment. Um, as And Melbourne Victory in a bit of a crisis. Um, there was a bit of talk about the coach and the uh, beef between the players. So it's a bit of an interesting scenario there. They won against Melbourne, against Wellington Phoenix, sorry, 2-0. Yeah. Um, but there's still a lot of envy between the fans. And I think Victory's in that one of these positions this year where they're probably going to play finals. But, you know, the fans are going to be still very anti the coach and the owners. And uh, I think yeah. ever since Kevin Muscat left, Max, I think it's been a very odd situation for them. They never found the right play, right coach and right players to bring them back to the glory they did have. Um, yeah. And I think the other one as well is 
Western United, sorry, they've been, I think, um, quite good this year as well. I think they've been competitive. I think they're in just in, just outside the finals, but they've been competitive. So that's a positive thing. And Melbourne City have been doing their usual tricks of just doing the odd thing there and there. They're winning the game when they need to, but at the same time, they're dropping points against sides who I suspect they should beat. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting A-League season. Um, hopefully... It gets more coverage. I've not really heard about it, um, to be honest. There hasn't been a lot of news coverage on it, which is a bit disappointing. The national competition not getting the run it should be with no cricket on. The Australian Open just finished. So um, that's a big concern. I think the FFA would be quite um, worried about that uh, and the A-League itself would be worried about that um, as an organisation. But hopefully it gets something and um, you know the Fox Sports ratings can get up because they need to because we don't want the death of the A-League to happen. So, yeah. Yeah, I think um, with the way sort of the demographic of Australia is, I think there's always going to be people that love the game of soccer and I think it's always going to have uh, a following. Um, it's just whether, you know, putting it together and, and really making it a strong competition. And the Central Coast Mariners has been a pretty remarkable story. Um, three of the last four years, they've finished bottom. Um, and the last two years, they've finished on the bottom. And this year, they're on top, um, nine games in, which is quite quite amazing um, for them to be to be sitting on top after you know three pretty tough years, and to sh- just go from rock bottom to rock top um, mm. is is uh, quite remarkable. And that's a pretty good story. Um, uh, and I will pull this out, Max, as well. Sorry to cut you off. Is yeah. the coaches, the former Matilda's coach, and Alan Stadich now? If he lifts the uh, toilet seat seat trophy, um, I think there'll be a few people at the uh, women's side of the Australian soccer level who'll be questioning that decision, and rightly so, because I think he's you know he's a quality manager, and I think he's just proving a point to the FFA yeah. and a few others in the top uh, soccer Australia that yeah I'm still around yeah. and I know what I'm doing. So I hope he goes well, and I hope Central Coast keep it keep going, and you know. Give yeah. someone different win it. I think we've I think we've got bored of seeing Sydney FC win it. So I think that's the disappointing thing about the A League. It's just Sydney FC every year. So we need someone yeah. different to win. It. No well, dis- no disrespect to them as well at the same time. Yeah. Well, um he's on a roll, the Mariners coach. Um that's he's sending a message there, certainly. Um but on the other side of things, um Melbourne Victory, they've they've sort of had a few troubles and I know um, as you mentioned about their fans sort of not being on, on you know, they're not really happy with the club and sort of how it's all happened. Um, and, you know, f- and I know that for a fact because um, there are there are boos at halftime of their last game um, when the players were walking off, there were boos, uh, along with a few cheers, which was good to hear, but there were mm-hmm. boos and there's been a lot happening there. Um, and, and, you mentioned the coach, which is one thing, and finding a new coach after Musket. Um, and an interesting comment from the current coach was before he got the job, he actually said that he never want, he didn't want to coach the club um, before. He was, a, he was a caretaker coach. He just stepped in while they were searching for a new coach. And he became the coach um, on the back of some great performances by the club where they won a few games and then the club ended up choosing him as coach. But in that time when they, they didn't have the coach, he actually said he didn't really want to do the job. Um, so yeah. that, that, that was a really interesting comment. And 
um, yeah, they, they ended up appointing him, which is probably been costly in a way because, I don't know, maybe it hasn't worked for them um, because they're sitting, uh, where, where are they at the moment? They're, they're 11th, they're second last on the ladder um, with two wins, five losses and a, and a draw, um, which, which, which can be turned around. But, um, yeah, it's been interesting. Well, it was great that they came back and won after their, uh, the, the founding director of the club left, Richard Wilson. Um, and I think the club, in a way, well, from their statement, they released this statement um, after Richard Wilson had left the club and um, he was a founding director and he, he left the club. He wasn't happy and made a few comments. And Melbourne Victory, after that, they... Um, released a statement and this is what the statement said the club is both saddened and disappointed by comments attributed to Richard Wilson on his exit as director of the club today Mr Wilson is a foundation director of Melbourne Victory however at this time the board along with a number of shareholders welcome his exit which has been the subject of discussion for some time that's um Quite. Yeah. Um, that's quite interesting comments coming from the board there in this in the in the club statement, it's saying that they, they welcome his exit. Um, yeah. So maybe that's that's good for the club that 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 he's sort of left, um, and now they're sort of on a bit of a clean slate and they can move forward. And I don't know, I don't know what's going inside the four walls, but maybe it was good that he left. Um, but, yeah, well, it's, the, it's the old, oh, thank you for doing your time, but uh, we're going to move on now. And I think the other thing to do with this whole um, massive block that's happened at Big Three as well, I think the fans need to, the ultra fans, and I'm speaking to them, um, and they might not like this, but they need to pull their heads in and realise it's just a soccer comp and it's just a game of soccer. And, you know, the club is going to go through different directions and different board members and there's going to be different people and they're going to have different attitudes and culture and you need to realize that as a fan of a club you need to accept that i think we know as, as football fans you know presidents are going to change you know ceos are going to change and it's it's going to be good or bad and i think the the, the also the thing is they only played nine games so they can still come back and get to you know get into the finals placing and you know do the um get through the elimination final and get get to the final and also the other thing that I think those fans need to realise is that they've had so much success for so much time, they've just completely forgotten about that. So they need to reflect yeah. and understand. They've got to take that for granted. They've got to be very grateful that they've had that success. Um, and Absolutely. I think those fans need to stop acting like spoiled children and just pull their heads in and go, we're supporting this club, so why are we booing them at half-time? Like, you yeah. know, I don't, I don't get why... You, I don't get why um, I don't, we don't see that at AFL level. We don't see it at cricket. They don't boo. They don't boo. They don't, you know, you know there's an odd, odd exception at the tennis that was pretty minority um, from some sources that told me the tennis booing was pretty minority. If you hear it on TV, it sounded like, oh, I was doing it, but yeah. it was minority. And I'm going to have to disagree with, I think if we had booze in footy, Adam Goods was a bad example yeah, of the booing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But I'm saying just you don't see, you don't see a Support, whole. Supporters debate. booing their own team. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying, and and yeah. that's the thing. That's one thing I think. I think, you know, if you're that, if you that anti the club or whatever, then you put your hand yeah. up and do it. Those young young fans who support the club need to realise that and go. Well, if I don't like you know Melbourne Victory, well you know, and I don't like how they're going with their regime, then you know, put your hand up and do it. And if you don't have the time or effort to do it, then don't do it. So yeah, I think 
I think those people need to realise that. And you know what? Um, I think at the same time, I think you know, it's a two-way street as well. The board of directors need to be clear to the fans of what their objectives is as well at the same yeah. time. And maybe that's lost in translation, unfortunately. You know, so. yeah. But the aim itself is in in shambles. If there's no, if I'm not seeing score, if I'm not seeing uh, highlights on the news, and um, you know, we're not getting the two, even a two minutes of coverage max, it just seems like it's just got forgotten again. And it's and I think this is the argument of I think Mark Bosnich raises every year. He says the competition needs to move to the winter. And I know the I know the traditional fans will want it to be in the summer because. The NPL and that doesn't get affected, but I think it needs to move to the winter and gives that coverage. And I know they're going to go against the AFL and the NRL, but it might be just a better way of going. You know what I mean? Yeah. So but that's, that's a really interesting point you raised there. And I was yeah. going to ask you, how can the A-League improve? I think it's in a decent position, but obviously definitely it needs to get a, a bigger supporter base. Um but I don't know if that's the right move to winter because it's going to compete with NRL and, and the AFL. Why, why do you think they should do move to, to the, the winter? It just makes sense. That means that, they can, that means that the NPL clubs can have more transparency on um, pathway program. Um, also to do with it, – it means that everyone's linked up. Um, it'd be a bit like, Max, it'd be a bit like the AFL uh, non-professional uh, season playing in the middle of summer. And then the professional season playing in winter, it would be a bit odd. Um, if you, you know, you, you, yeah. Soccer is a sport. It's not played in the middle of 30-degree weather. You know, you see the games played. This is the other issue with it, and yeah. TV would argue this thing is when they play in the middle of, you know, Campbelltown Stadium and it's 34 degrees on a middle of January um, and it's the big blue, Sydney FC playing Melbourne Victory, they're stopping after 15 minutes because they've got to have a drinks break. You know, yeah. Uh, you don't see that in you don't see that in the Bundesliga or the Premier League or and I know you got I know everyone compares it to Europe and you know there's ML and the MLS gets compared to the A League a lot and I think the, also the other thing as well they've got to make changes is salary cap and I don't know that I don't know why we can't just do what the clubs in America do and take away the salary cap and allow. Um, to buy players and you get the marquee signings and it might be, you know, for four games, we might have David Villa running across the ground or, you know, Lewis yeah. Suarez, age 40, you know, kicking a ball for MacArthur FC, Max. But if you get someone like that, that gives that bit of, you know, marketing yeah. publicity that they need. And yeah. they're just missing on that. They're just playing. They're playing people who... There's people in the NPL who could probably play A-League, and that's the sad reality. And the other issue is their pathway system has got to be reviewed and, uh, you know, yeah. decomposed at the same time. So that's... there's many things that's coming out of it, Max, and I think we'll, we'll never know the answer with the A-League, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that's a – you make a good point about the pathway competition, certainly, and – also, um, getting marquee players in, and I love the idea of coming for four, four, four games, whatever, five games. That's perfect because that, that's the that's the marketing. That's where the marketing will come in and the publicity. Um, I, the pathway is 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 pretty pretty poor to be honest. Because you know what, you got you got your thirteen year old kids paying one grand a year to play NPL, which is supposed to be like the premier competition which is just ridiculous. Um, mm. And there's been former players, um, you know, bring this up to try and, you know, eliminate these ridiculous costs. Um, and it's quite strange that nothing's sort of happened with that. 
Um, the other really interesting point, and is moving the A League to winter. Now, there, I, I think I, I don't know. It's a real tough one. I, I wouldn't do it because just because it's going to compete with NRL and the AFL. But the only reason why I think it might, why they might be thinking about doing it, is because it's going to align with the soccer season. So when kids are playing that might, I don't know, if kids are playing the game and they're playing actual real season matches, then they might want to go to the A-League a little bit more. Same with the parents. But I'm not sold on that. I I don't know if that actually is going to accumulate to an increase in viewership of the A-League. But it's really interesting. And I don't know, perhaps we might need to put a poll out and see what our listeners think if the A-League should move um, to, to the winter. You know what? I'd love to get someone on the show to speak about that. Um, we got Chris Palavanas from the Western United um, last year when when the show was happening, and he came on the CEO of Western United. That's Chris. Uh, he came on, and, and we mentioned that what well, that was brought up. Um, I, I reckon it'd be great to get him on and uh, have a chat about that, or anyone else we could potentially get on because it's an interesting topic, and. Um, t- speaking of Western United, it's great that they announced um, that they'll be playing some games in Tasmania this season, this A-League season. Um, they, they've agreed on it. They've, they've partnered up with the Tasmanian government and Football Tasmania, uh, and they're going to be playing a couple of games down there. So that, that's a good result for the Western United. And that's going to, I reckon that will hold them in really good stead because that's something the FFA will, would love. Um, they're they're bringing in other states. They're 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 growing the game that way, and they're 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 looking like a great club. Western United, they've they've only played six games um, this this year, where, where a lot of other teams have played eight or nine. Um, they're sitting tenth, but they've only played six games. As I said, two wins, two draws, and two losses. So they brought in Diamante, who's just been great for the A League. I've I've found uh, he's been entertaining. Uh, they've got Brescia, Barisha, but I, I, like Diamante, he's just entertaining. How good is he? Those videos have just gotten viral of him and his personality. It's brilliant. Um, but look, it's interesting, Patrick. It's uh, it's it's an interesting topic to talk about, and um, we'll keep a close eye on it. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a good chat about the A League certainly, and um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how the season plays out. Um, and MacArthur FC, the new team, they're sitting third, which is good. Great for a new club to be up that high. Um, so that's brilliant. Um, but we'll move on, Patrick. And uh, did you have some stuff on the uh, Champions League? Uh, the Is that right? You got... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the Champions League, I'll quickly go through it. Um, Bayern, <coughs> excuse me. Bayern Munich did the job uh, quite comfortable against Lazio 4-1. Uh, Chelsea bet Atletico Madrid with Olivier Giroud scoring a, a pretty amazing bicycle kick. Real Madrid did the job pretty comfortably against Atlanta. Uh, Atalanta, sorry. Um, Man City uh, defeated Borussia Mönchengladbach 2-0. And a quick wrap of the Europa League uh, round of 32, second leg. Uh, the big news out of it would probably be uh, Swedish side young Switzerland Swiss side young boys, sorry. Uh, they defeated Bayern Leverkusen uh, 6-3 on Aggregate uh, to go to the round of 16. And another one is the little Norwegian side, uh, Mould FC, uh, defeated Hoffenheim 
uh, as well. So they're in as well. Uh, Arsenal got through as well, 4-3 on the aggregate. Um, I didn't know who they play or maybe it was Leon. Um, and then Slavia Pravia, a bit Leicester. So some interesting results there and um, we'll see what happens coming out of the draw uh, soon. And the Champions League, they've got second leg that will come up next week. Um, I think some of the games are going to be played over the, in the Eastern Europe uh, part of the world. I think they're going to play for the second leg because of restrictions in Hungary and Romania. So some interesting pitches uh, we'll see from there. So, yes. Absolutely. And um, thanks for that, Patrick. It's been a great chat. And uh, as always, really appreciate you coming on the Sports Hour, uh, sharing your wonderful thoughts. And um, it's, been, it's been awesome yet again. And um, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you very much, Max. Absolute pleasure and um, can't wait to chat soon. It is my pleasure now to welcome the president of the Western Region Junior Cricket Association to the Sports Hour. How are you going today, Chris? That's a Stavrou. Good, thanks, Max. Really good. Good to see you. Over yeah. in uh, sunny Adelaide. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for coming on. It's, uh, it's great to have you on as someone uh, representing the Western Region and, and playing a role in the region, uh, in sport. So uh, we thank you for coming on and um, it'll be great to get your insights. Um, now, firstly, I want to start off, obviously COVID-19 has had an impact on many people um, throughout the world. How has it impacted the Western Region Junior Cricket Association and what have been some of the challenges and fortunes, I guess, from, from COVID-19 and, and how that's played out? Yeah, well, initially we weren't sure whether we were even going to have a season. Um, you know, the footy season, the junior footy seasons and the footy seasons were all cancelled and um, uh, we thought at one stage there wouldn't be any cricket. Uh, thankfully, the, uh, you know, the Victorian uh, community banded together and uh, I guess with uh, Premier Andrews, I think we were waiting on every, every time he had a... Uh, a uh, Presser that uh, everyone was sitting there waiting with bated breath as to see what the next restrictions or lack of restrictions would be. But we 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 finally, with the support of Cricket Victoria, who have been great, they've been really quick to respond to um, to any announcements. Um, but we put together a plan where we could um, we got rid of all our two day games, so everything was one days, and we ha- actually had a plan that if there were any restrictions along the way, we could condense the the season to be able to to get a whole season in. And uh, that plan was really good. A uh, bit of a hiccup a couple of weeks ago where we lost a whole round. But, um, you know, credit to to the people, um, our administrator, Stuart Wilson, and uh, our board were, you know, flexible enough to, to cover off on that. And so far we've really, you know, the weather's been reasonably kind. I think we've lost one round of weather and one round to that COVID, which is probably better than your usual season. Uh, a lot of one days. But... Uh, it's, it's been good in the end. Uh, the whole community's come together. Um, I, interestingly, we've had less less uh, issues in relation to behaviour and whatnot because I think the parents and coaches are they're really on board with uh, with the fact that the kids need to play. Um, so it's been great, been great. I guess some of the fortunes that come out of it is um, Zoom meetings um, and uh, that, that whole process of teleconferencing has allowed us to to reach a wider audience uh, more immediately. So we actually had a board meeting last night, um, you know, 40 or 50 people on board, which wasn't always, um, which was always hard to do when you had in person um, in, in one place and we're such a big area, you know, we've pretty much got the whole Western suburbs and cover a number of councils. 
Um, so it's it's been uh, it's been a, a big assistance. Um, having the Facebook account now being manned by Stewie uh, has made things a lot lot easier too. So communication's been been so much better. So there, there's some good things that came out of it, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um... As you said, the weather's also been great for the cricket. Obviously, you can't play cricket in rain, so that's also mm. been a bit of a fortune. Um, so that's great to hear. And probably the other question is, uh, coming like experiencing all this through COVID, is there something that you've sort of learnt and, and will change? For example, you mentioned the Zoom meetings there. Um, do you think there's something like that and, and potentially other things that, into the future you'll use and, and that'll be sort of the way forward um, and something that you've learned through COVID that, that you'll continue to do in future seasons in the Western region for cricket? Definitely, uh, Max. So, you know, technology's been, been one thing, um, but just looking at our, all our processes, the fact that we, we probably don't need to have as many um, meetings with everyone, um, changing the structure of uh, the... The Western region is something that's that we're looking at. We actually won a, a, a grant to um, to work with a uh, with a consultant to put together a strategic plan, short term and long term. And part of that is to plan um, the way we, we govern the association. So you know, less meetings, but but more um, more structured meetings, um, and then getting the communication out, and obviously getting the feedback back as well. So we. We're actually touching through Facebook. We touch the, the players and the, the parents and the coaches directly um, through Zoom. We have meetings with um, you know all the stakeholders, the the main stakeholders, the coaches, the clubs, the uh, administrators. So we're 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 looking at creating a whole new governance structure so that we we're not run by the delegate system, which which can be clunky and slow. We you requiring you know we're, we're quite big now. We've got nearly forty five. Um, members, 45 club members. So to get a consensus decision takes takes a lot longer. Um, uh, whereas if we have strategic teams working on specific areas, we can get a lot more done uh, rather than you know this this global consensus type process. It's um, it, it can be confrontational too. So uh, I think if we get the right people in the right places, we'll be able to to make that work. Get the technology on board. Get the communications right. It should work really well. Yeah. And Chris, uh, you've been involved for a very long time. I remember as a junior, I, I was lucky enough to play in the Western region and go through all the junior stuff. And that was always fun as it is for many juniors. And I remember 10 years ago when I was in under 12s, you were the president and handing out the, um, the association awards and all that. And, you know, you've done a remarkable job over the years. What would you say has been uh, some of the things that, you've seen change throughout and some of the things that you've really um, achieved and, and enjoyed seeing um, through your years as president at the Western Region Junior Association and also um, just yourself as a, as, a, as a cricket person and over the years, um, what have you really enjoyed seeing change and, and, and sort of what, what you've achieved as well? Um, look, there's two aspects. There's the club side of it, at Sunshine Heights, at, you know, both members of, which was, which has been great. Um, from a Western region point of view, I, I've, I've actually been involved um, as a delegate from the age of about twenty or twenty-one. So, you know, it's a long time. It's you know forty odd years in or thirty odd years, sorry, in um, in administration. Um, and 
I've, I've seen a whole bunch of associations go to the wall, merge, etc. Um, some of it's been, you know, bad, but a lot of it's been good. With, with me, the, the, some of the, the biggest changes and I think the best changes have been when the old Western Metro competition, which I was president of previously, merged with Williamstown. And now we've merged with Melton and we've created this single junior association across the whole Western suburbs. What that did was two things. It, it made it easier for the clubs. So there weren't three groups of people that were working at their club to try and run that and run an association. Um, and we ended up getting the best of all the people out of those competitions to work together. Um, and then, and that's where I want to take it to the next stage is get, get ourselves, you know, running the right way with a proper administrator, a paid administrator, so that we can we can actually grow cricket, make it easier for clubs, make it easier for people to to expand. So from my point of view, being involved as a coach and an administrator for God since I was nineteen basically. Um, and uh, they're the areas that, of growth. Consolidation, uh, the support now, well, up until prior to COVID, the support from Cricket Victoria that we had was great. We had a lot of resources and that helped help the growth. We've been really lucky in the West. Not only have we had population growth, but our competition has grown. I think I've been president since we formed the merger uh, 11 years ago. Um, and I remember we had about 140 teams at the time. So it's 10, 11 years ago. We're now, we've just clocked over 300. So that's a 100% increase in 11 years is, um, in numbers is huge. Um, and uh, we need to be organised. Um, Max, we need to have a really strong competition um, that works efficiently for the clubs and the members. Uh, and I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. Yeah, it's been huge. Yeah, and it's, it's a massive credit to you for being involved that long. And without people like you, um, thousands of kids can't go out and play on a Friday night or Saturday or Sunday. So it's, yeah. it's fantastic what you've done. Um, and congratulations on that um, because that's, uh, it's so good for so many people. Um, yep. I wanted to ask you one area I think that, that I look at in junior cricket and, and in cricket as a whole is sort of that transition from junior to senior cricket. Do you, and I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people do sort of drop out at that, at that age around uh, 18, 17, 18, 16 um, to go and, you know, obviously they've got their, their studies that, that start increasing around that time and, you know, they get more options in life. They can go and drive a car. Is there, is there something that's in place in that area and do you think that's that's an area that that can be improved and, and how do you think that that can be improved um in, in cricket as a whole yeah look it's a really good really good point you, you raise it is a um that that age group is the, the age group where they disengage um and you know all the distractions of work girlfriend school um you know and the like is important and part of the reason why we brought back a midweek under 18 competition was that we were finding that people were either playing a lot of cricket on the weekend and, uh, and that at that age group, it was, uh, it was difficult. You've got studies. We start that competition straight after the final year exams so that kids aren't burdened with exams during cricket. Um, there's, you know, it's up to the clubs, but generally there's no requirement to, to train. It, it also brings back players that have no longer able to play senior cricket yet. 
brings them back to the club, they can still play cricket. I'd like to see that maybe go to an under-19s competition. Um, and more of it, it's a social T20. It's played midweek, so it's away from the weekend. Um, generally, kids that play that also play Saturday mornings and Sundays, and they just, you know, really, really need to uh, get their cricket fixed. But it has brought back some kids that um, maybe not quite good enough to play seniors at, at that age group yet. Or, um, or just got them back to the club because of all the other demands. So I'd like to see more of that. So, you know, you ask the question of how do we, how can we have more of that? Um, social competitions, um, you know, there's social sixes are coming in for, for, uh, for girls and women who, who just want to come in and play the odd game. Um, might, might be a, a way of doing it. There's some veterans competitions that are bringing older people back into the game. But I, the, in that age group in particular... We, we need to look at every option. Um, I think the midweek option's good. Um, it's just a T20 game, so you only commit it two or three hours. Um, there's a bit of social side to it, so let, let, let's have a look at that. Let's alter the rules. Um, you know, maybe don't have dismissals in, in those and you just have a hit and bash. Uh, there, there's lots of things that we need to look at, um, you know, and I think that, you know, the new junior formats have, have made opened people's eyes in, in relation to to what you can actually do with cricket, T20, T10 now. You know, you've got, you've got the 100 games, you know, the 100 ball games. So there's, there's a whole stack of stuff that, that uh, it's good that people are start thinking, starting to think outside the square, get away from the test cricket mentality. Yeah. yeah. And with, uh, you mentioned girls cricket there and women's cricket. How's that sort of, um, obviously the, the women's big bash um, started, a few years ago and that, that sort of created a spark and also the, the World Cup final that they had at the MCG where they um, filled the stadium. How's that sort of impacted the Western region um, with, with girls cricket and, and how do you see the future of that and, and ways of trying to increase the participation um, in that area? Uh, look, it's, it, it's been huge. We introduced a girls um, comp probably three, maybe four years ago um, and that has grown exponentially. Um, we now have three age groups, 11s, 13s and 15s in the girls. So almost starting to mirror what the boys are doing. Um, the numbers have gone through the roof. The, we called it the Molly Strano Cup because Molly's a you know, Western Suburbs girl and she's playing test cricket and she's, uh, I think, the most successful uh, BBL bowler uh, and, uh, by a mile. Um, and she's been, she's been super supportive. The competition comes down. Um, Mel Jones has been down to the competition. So we're getting a lot of support, a lot of girls wanting to play cricket, um, and we're, we're, we're really focusing on that. We did start an indoor boys competition uh, the year before last because COVID sort of stuffed up the last one, but, and we're looking at having a, an indoor girls competition, a winter competition as well to get that continuity. Um, and there's, there's some interest there. So girls cricket's our, our big focus, and I... I I've been a big proponent of that. We've, um, I'm on the organising committee of the VMCU and um, really pushed for that and got the under-12 Cloudy for Tone competition in probably four or five years ago as well. And now we've grown to having 12s, 14s, 16s and 18s that rep girls cricket uh, from, on the VMCU point of view. And that really supports the girls' pathways into the YPL competition now. So um, it's been great especially under 12 level, we're starting to see some big numbers and some really talented girls. They are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Working on mate. 
big big fan of that. Yeah, and coming out of um, COVID nineteen, hopefully we're going into normality soon. Um, what's sort of the direction um, in the future for the Western Region Junior Cricket Association, and and uh, and yeah, in, in the future, hopefully when we're in normality, and and even even now as we're transitioning out. Yeah, look, interesting one, um, Max. We're, we're you know we're in one of the biggest growth area growth corridors in the country. Um, yeah. You know, right through um, you know the Western. Councils through Wyndham, through Nelton. Um, you know, Brimbank's almost full now. There's still some pockets there uh, that are filling out. You know, Maribyrn on Hobson's Bay are a bit, bit older. So we've got to manage the growth, um, and, and that's why I want a really strong structure to, to support clubs and, and communities that want to join. Um, and, and also consider that, you know, the older councils that, you know, Brimbank's becoming one of the older councils too, that we're, we're starting to see... Um, changes there as well so we've got some old infrastructure there it's nice in the new areas where we're getting all these new 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 grounds and whatnot but council's been really supportive of upgrading um the the older facilities and getting them up to almost as good a standard if not better than some of those other councils so really want to applaud councils um and brimback have been great for us at sunshine heights and you know grand united and uh, you know i think st albans are getting some support as well so um there's not a lot of clubs Really, a lot of clubs left. We've seen a few disappear over the years, but they're really supporting some of the bigger clubs. And you know, Deer Park's another one that uh, that uh, we're starting to to see that um, that life coming back into those inner areas. And we we are seeing some um, I don't know, uh, growth there as well. Interestingly, second and third generations, you know, coming back in. Uh, we're seeing a lot of players, even at our club, a lot of players are having kids and they're coming back and coaching, which is great because it makes my job a bit easier. Although, although with you and you and Pete gone, I've got to do a lot more work. But uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. I've, I've really enjoyed you know, getting back into that side. But yeah, managing growth is going to be a it's going to be a tough one. Which is why, if we get it right now, um, it's going to be so much easier going forward. And we'll manage any type of growth. Um, yeah, and renewal as well. Yeah. yeah, it's well. It's great to hear that um, the councils are supporting that, especially Brimbank as well. Um, they're supporting facilities and upgrades and new grounds because, as you say, um, in the west, it's probably one of the highest population growth corridors. Um, so, yeah, it's it's great to hear that. Um, and Chris, I also wanted to mention um, your attachment to Sunshine Heights Cricket Club. Um, yeah. You're a life member there, um, and um, yeah, I remember as a young kid seeing you um, around and, um, you know, all your help as well. I remember actually you taught me how to play uh, off the back foot. Uh, you, I remember you putting a nice X on the ground, making sure my back foot moves to that spot. And I'll never forget that day at Ainsworth Reserve. Um, and it's, I still think of it to this day uh, when you taught me how to oh, play the cut and full shot. Um, <laughs> Every time you hit a boundary, mate, I'm glad you're, I'm reminding you of it. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a really good point because that's the um, that, that's the strength of coaching kids, you know. And if we if we can impart some of those little um, you know little uh, gems, and you know, eventually it'll go on, and then you'll impart that to, to somebody else. And I'm I'm sure at the level you're at, you'll impart a hell of a lot more things too. But um, it's been great, yeah, mate. The the, the club has been. You know, I've been there since, since I was a kid, you know, probably growing up with your dad too. And um, some of the things that, that I've loved being at, at Sunshine Heights is that, um, 
they're, they're very inclusive. Um, it's a fun place to be at. I know our, our mantra of batting, bowling, fielding and food goes down uh, really well. And we do have an emphasis on food and, you know, and really the, the biggest levelers in, um, you know, in any cultural issues are sport and food. And I think we've got that in, in, in spades at Sunshine Heights, but it, it, it is my second home and, you know, it's, it's, it's a place that I can go, I can sit on the couch and feel as comfortable at our club as I do in my lounge room. And, and I hope that every player that comes to our club feels the same. Um, for me, it was having family there as well. You know, my brother played, my cousins and, um, yeah, and, and you know, obviously with, with, with your dad and that. But we, we had so much fun. To be, you know, it was, you know, batting, bowling, uh, fielding, food and fun because that was it because we, we had damn good teams. We were, there were some good cricketers. But it was all about having fun and fun with the opposition too, um, you know, having some some really good times and, and made some really good friends across all the uh, the old SCA Sunshine Cricket Association clubs and, yeah. and, and players and still see them all the time and 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 we talk about the good old days. But the club, I'm just wrapped. The club's gone from strength to strength and become one of one of the beacons, I think, of of, of all clubs in in all areas. And I think, uh, um, yeah. Reflect fondly on on all my memories with the club, and they still grow. Yeah, yeah. And do you have any? Uh, I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you have any stories from your junior days, or or even just after your junior days when you were playing seniors at the club? Um, you know, can you, can you tell us about maybe some special performances? You mentioned the food, which is awesome. Um, but can, does anything pop to mind <laughs> um, that uh, oh, you can you can share? I mean, <laughs> yeah, there'll be some some real funny funny stories. I, I remember a time when um, you know our club was built on um, you know people from migrant backgrounds, and it was at one stage we had that many Greeks. We actually had a uh, a second eleven made up exclusively of Greeks, and 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 Wayne Lewisopoulos, the, the the Wayne Lewis was there as well, and he was an honorary Greek, and um, we literally had um, you know a, a team full of full of Greeks, but. You know, we had people from from all over the place, and we were we were proud of proud of that. It's it's been you know part of the fun. But uh, I, I remember some funny stories of just just some of the umpire characters that we used to have back in the old days. You know, umpires that you know there was one umpire that um, he had to give a short run every time you played, and it was just a matter of when. And <laughs> when he called short run, the, the, the whole it, it, both teams would just erupt in laughter, and um, you know and, and you, you would watch every run closely and, you know, batsmen would put their bat a metre over the line and he'd still call a short run. Um, <laughs> or, or, you know, people like Joe Neville who used to rock up with his bike and, you know, if players didn't like the decisions, he might have some flat tyres or the bike <laughs> would behind a shed and the poor guy. Like, just some, some, some crazy stuff used to go on. Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, the beauty of uh, playing local sport. And um, I think yeah. uh, that wraps us up, Chris. Uh, th- thanks very much for coming on. And um, you're a wonderful servant to cricket in the Western region. Um, and I really appreciate um, you coming on the Sports Hour today and, and sharing all your stories and also the future of um, the Western Region Junior Cricket Association. So thanks very much, Chris. Thank you, Max. And uh, good luck with um, yeah, the Premier side of it. And hope you. Hopefully you take that next step very, very soon, mate. Um, Yeah, we're proud of you. Keep it going.
And that was Chris Hattestavru, the president of the Western Region Junior Cricket Association and also a life member at the Sunshine Heights Cricket Club. So we thank him very much for coming on to the Sports Hour and we really appreciate his thoughts and uh, him giving up his time. And now we're going to welcome our next guest onto the Sports Hour, a regular uh, who's going to come on each and every week like he did last week to talk a little bit about different things related to our health, exercise, uh, fitness, diet, uh, nutrition, all those sorts of things. This is the man. We've got Connor Kennedy. Welcome to the Sports Hour. How are you going today? Thank you very much, Max. Yeah, I'm very well today and I'm glad to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on and uh, after such a great interview last week, I'm looking forward to this one yet again. Um, and we're here today, we're going to Absolutely. talk cold showers. So can you explain to us the benefits of cold showers and why our listeners should um, do them more often. Yeah, sure. So we'll get straight into it. Cold showers are uh, pretty life-changing when you get into them, really. So um, just to be clear from the start, I'm not talking about cold showers where we start the shower cold and finish the shower cold because who can do that? You know, that's pretty hard to do, um, especially when it's a cold morning or something like that. I'm just talking about you have your normal warm shower and then you turn the cold tap on for a little while. Now you can actually start um, with just a few seconds and you build up your exposure over time. And I'll talk more on that later, but uh, the benefits of, of cold showers and why you should do them. Okay. So first of all, um, when we were cavemen, we were exposed to the cold a lot more and um, our bodies liked that. Our bodies adapted to be able to do that. But in today's world, we've always got clothes. We're always feeling comfortable. Um, and so our vascular system with our, our veins and arteries, um, that doesn't get exercised enough. Okay. Um, so what exposing yourself to the cold water does is exercise this system um, it, it gets those veins and arteries opening and closing um, and working as they should be. And even after just a few days of these cold showers, it actually reduces your resting heart rate because your heart has to work less hard to pump around the body because the veins and arteries are opened more as they should be um, because you've been exposed to the cold. Now, what a lower resting heart rate means is tons and tons of health benefits, okay? It means we feel less stress during the day. It means our risk of chronic illnesses goes down hugely um, because there's all sorts of, of illnesses later in life that can come with a higher resting heart rate and risks that come associated with that. So we can reap these benefits from cold showers. Now, to start with, I recommend just trying 15 seconds. Um, you can have the stopwatch out in front of the little shower screen um, and just try to see if you can make 15 seconds, okay? And then slowly over the next couple of weeks, you can build this up and build this up. And eventually, after maybe a month, if you're being really conservative, you can try to get to two minutes of cold shower, um, which is what I do. So I have a cold shower for two minutes every day after my warm shower. And, uh, and actually, guys, it feels great after a while. Um, after your first couple, like straight after the shower, you just feel amazing. Your whole body's just glowing and um, you actually feel warm. It's, it's pretty extraordinary and you think, wow, I feel alive. So you've got to try it for yourself. And with, with the showers, are you saying that in order to get these benefits, we should start off with a hot shower, which is fine, but then at the end of your shower, finish on cold? Or are you allowed to 
like I like to do, um, I like to have a hot shower, then cold, and then go back to hot to finish. Is it okay to do that, or should you finish on cold if you want to maximise these benefits? Oh, look, I'd say if you want to maximise the benefits, you should finish on cold. Um, but it's doing what you just explained, going hot, then cold, then hot, is better than not doing any cold at all. Yep. But I'd say finishing it on cold is definitely optimal um, because then you, know, then, then you don't get re-exposed to the hot. But there is actually, and, and we're getting a little bit off topic here, but there is actually another um, way of doing things. This is a, a completely different theory where you go cold, then hot, then cold, then hot, then cold, then hot, and so yeah. on and so on. And that um, actually does a similar sort of thing. Um, and it gets those veins and arteries opening, then closing, and opening, then closing, and opening, then closing. And it kind of just flows blood and pumps blood all around our body doing yeah. the cold and hot. So that's another thing that you can, you can try for yourself sometimes. But, um, but I definitely recommend the finishing on the cold showers. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of going against the grain here, are there benefits to having hot showers? Um, like, as you said, they're going to cold to hot to cold to hot. But what about actually just having a hot shower? Are there any sort of benefits to that? Um, I'm just interested to know. Yeah, there's benefits to having hot showers. And look, like, I'm, I'm not a dermatologist or anything. Um, I believe that, you know, you don't need to have a shower every single day, um, and, and some dermatologists, I think, will say that's actually bad for your skin and, and things like that. But I do think that um, there are certain benefits that come with hot showers. Um, and like I said, um, your, your system, your veins and arteries, they love um, exposure to different types of temperatures. So they yeah. like the, the heat and they like the cold. But the reason why cold is so beneficial is because in today's world, we don't feel that sort of extreme cold enough. You know, sometimes mm. we might be a little bit cold, but we don't feel the sort of cold that you feel in a cold shower enough. But we do feel the heat um, that you, you, you might feel in the hot shower a lot because you go in the hot shower. Um, but even still, you're, you're always wearing clothes. You're always at a comfortable temperature. So you really get the huge benefits from the cold showers. But definitely, you know, like if you were someone that just never had showers, you'd also get benefits from, from starting hot showers. And Connor, um, thanks for sharing that um, info on the cold showers. Uh, now, I sort of wanted to transition on to um, sort of what you've done personally. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're a qualified personal trainer. Um, you did that course, didn't you? Um, can you explain a little bit to us about uh, that course you did, you completed and and sort of what, what, your, what stage you're at with, with uh, what you're doing currently. Yeah, sure, Max. Yeah, so I finished uh, my Certificate 4 in fitness last year, which is a course that qualifies you to be a personal trainer. Um, I did it through the Australian Institute of Fitness, which I'd highly recommend for anyone interested in doing a personal training course. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Um, obviously, through COVID, it was all online. But I met a lot of great people online and who I still, um, I've caught up with a couple of them and, and I still um, keep in contact with all of them today. And um, just taught you some really good knowledge about exercise. I also did a, a nutrition coach course um, for 16 weeks that taught me about nutrition. Um, and, and those things qualify me to help other people with their nutrition and obviously with their exercise as a personal trainer. Um, right now, 
where I'm at is I've just, um, I took a little bit of time off after finishing the course late last year. I've just moved up to the big city, Melbourne. Um, and I was down on the Victorian coast last year. And so uh, currently I'm about to start a full-time job for a gym in Melbourne and I'm working with some clients on the side as well. Awesome. That's brilliant, Connor. And um, it's great to give that background to our listeners um, so they know they're getting um, qualified information and information from the best in the business. So um, thanks for coming on, Connor, and uh, appreciate your support for the show and, uh, and obviously you giving some great advice to our listeners. It's a little bit of a side sort of thing on the show, but um, it's not entirely about sport and, and the ups and downs of sport, but it's um, definitely something that's, that sports people use and um, something that anyone can benefit from. So thanks very much for coming on to the Sports Hour yet again and uh, really appreciate your time, Connor. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Max. I'm looking forward to being back next week. And now we're going to cross to Charlie Gill, who I see is with a number of friends. Uh, so we'll see how this one goes. It might be a bit interesting, but I hope it's uh, enjoyable for everyone. We're back and we're in business and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Charlie Gill to the Sports Hour, along with a special guest of his standing by his side, Mr. Antonio Luca Gustepedrich. Welcome to the Sports Hour, boys. How are you going? Oh, thank you very much, Max. Honoured to be here. Absolutely honoured. What he said, I am honoured to be here right now. And I, yeah, just let's talk sport. Let's talk about Cummins. Let's talk That's everything it. you want to talk about. Let's talk business. Now, Charlie, it's a pleasure to have you both on. And Charlie, firstly, I wanted to kick off today's show I was scrolling down my feed on Instagram. The evolution of um, social media has brought about these stories, they call them, and you're able to click on them and uh, something pops up and it gets enlarged onto the screen and it popped up something that just blew my eyes away and it was a little hint that you were starting your own newspaper. Is that right, Charlie? And can you tell us more about it? That's correct, Max. And look, when it comes to the newspaper, over the past couple of months, I've sort of been exploiting it as a talking point when I'm talking to people about what I've been up to because people seem to be interested in it. Um, but I decided I'd actually try and do it. And I've just, I'm just been interviewing people, um, writing some articles, and yeah, um, I would hope to distribute it sometime within the next month. Um, and that's what I've been doing. Yeah. So just trying to create a local community newspaper for North Detroit. That's, that's bloody awesome. That I probably shouldn't use that word, but that is really awesome. And I am so excited (laughs) to tune into that and read it. That's going to be quite exceptional. And, um, I am very much so looking forward to that. Can Luca Gusti standing by your side agree to that? Yeah, look, I think it's just great. It's, it's, a, it's a young entrepreneur. He's grown up in the neighbourhood. He really feels a connection to the neighbourhood, which, which gives it that, that feel to most newspapers. These days, you lose that like, community feel. Yes. But with this little newspaper that's going to come out of, it's just for the residents in the, in the local neighbourhood. And I think he'll, he'll definitely get a great audience straight off the bat just because it's so relevant to his target audience. 
Absolutely. And isn't he lucky, Luca, that he's got thousands of people listening right now? Uh, what a great promotion for the newspaper. So, Charlie, yeah, it's a real, real honour um, that we're humble, talking Max. about it. Don't um, be humble. <laughs> we're, 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 we're a million currently. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, nah, come on. Seven. We keep it low key here, all right? We we, okay. we we like to downsize everything here, okay? You know that. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> now, Charlie, I wanted to move on, and um, we will keep a close eye on that. That's not going to be let go go at all. We're going to be reintroducing that into our chats and getting updates about that local newspaper, and potentially by the next show, you can tell us the name of it. That would be pretty cool. I don't know if you've got a name for it. Just quickly, do you have a name for the paper? I do have a name. I do have a name for okay, it. Okay, we will. Um, well, it's up to you when you want to reveal it. But uh, yeah, the name is something that's going to be more relevant to the residents of the area. But um, because it's sort of named after something of a symbol in the area. But um, yeah, but we'll keep it low key for now, and then closer to, you know, yeah. when it can like sort of be distributed for the first time. Then maybe I'll try and sort of get some more publicity. But Smart. I'm also going to make sure within the newspaper to um mention the show sports hour it's not north detroit but you know what it's my paper I'll do what i want <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, uh it's also your full-time yeah. job so um yeah it's probably mm. worth mentioning it that's, that's hey on max we've just got a um nrl analyst here okay do you want to throw, do you want me to throw him over just so oh. we can chuck in a quick comment about the nrl this year or is absolutely that and is that joshy bayless you've got on the line oh yes it is the very same okay Tata, so mr you know exactly straight away it was me mate it um, is great to, to have you from you both. Joshy, oh mate it's great to have you on oh thank you Hatstar. lovely to be here mate now my question relating to the nrl is Go what is it. happening to Cameron Smith, what is going on with him, mate? Like I thought I'd get a decision mate. where he'd be ages ago before the end mate. of last season, but he, what's he doing? He's definitely leaving, isn't he, mate? Look, uh, he, yeah, he's not going to Melbourne. Uh, if he goes to Melbourne, I will just be absolutely. Uh, I just I won't believe it. Like he's not going back. Yeah, my, my what I what I think will happen is he's going to go to the Titans. It's going to be the hugest thing to happen in NRL ever. And my and, um, second question, gonna, yeah. Is that a bad, like, do you think, like, he should be finishing his career at the Melbourne Storm, seeing that he's just been a legend of the club? Like, do you think it's just a little bit, you know, a little bit, nah, that's not good, Cameron. You should be staying at Melbourne and finishing <laughs> Mate, your career. No, I, look, I, I think, yeah, that's what everyone is thinking and everyone should think that. But yeah. I believe he's going to the Titans and I think it's, it's just so good for the Titans because they've just been, obviously, the worst club in NRL yeah. history. And now that if they get him, they've had some huge signings over the off season. And um, if they get yeah. some experience like Cameron Smith, they will just be straight away top eight side. Haven't made the eight, I don't think ever. I think they might have once or twice in their whole career. And it would just be so huge for the game. Bring, bring Queensland up a little bit in the sport. And that's what we need because they're like the bottom three teams at the moment, the Queensland teams. And mate, if the Titans get up there, which yeah. they were looking very good at the back end of last season. If Cameron goes there, it's, it's just huge. Oh, it's, Joshy, I love that. That's great to hear because we need strong competition. We don't want an easy win. You know, exactly. Got, we don't want Gold Coast Titans to be an easy win. I know you, you're a resident in New South Wales and uh, you love your um, – you love – Mate, your, I do love it. Your, your uh, side. I, I love it. 
and uh, and you love the NRL. And yeah, it's, it's look, mate. Thank you for your insights. It's been no wonderful. worries, Hatsa. Any time, mate. mate. And um, uh, I just want to say though, the Tom Trebojevic injury has hurt Manly significantly. Significantly, that's right. your CE, mate. Yes. That's, right, that's right. I just remember and that's he, your team. He's done his hamstring in the bathroom, slipped over at home. I'm very disappointed. Hopefully he's back in round four. That's all I'm saying. And we'll yeah. be ready to go this year. Boys will make the eight. Anyway, thanks, Hatsa. Thanks for having me there. Pleasure, Joshy. It's a pleasure to have you on, mate. And Charlie, I want to... Don't throw... you think it's unbelievable that, you know, you've, you've brought me on once again and you, I've just happened to be in the proximity of an NRL expert. That's right. He's a leading expert in the Australian <laughs> journalism industry in regards to NRL. And how, how things happened is just wonderful. It's a small world and um, things can move as quick as a Ferrari. It's quite exceptional. Um, now, Charlie, you've been to a climate change protest before. I, am, I know that for a fact. And I know you're a supporter of it, which is, I just think it's just, it's a non-negotiable. It's just, it's clear. And you can't argue with science. Sorry there to you go. In there. And no, it's, it's, it's there that's a great shout, Luca Gusti. It's a brilliant shout. And I'll just tell you one thing. Okay. This mm-hmm. was from Dr. Martin Rice, the climate cha- the climate council's head of research and the lead. Ricey, I'm familiar. And Martin Rice said, if global emissions continue to increase, Australian sports will have to make significant changes, such as playing summer games in the evening or switching schedules to spring and autumn. So summer sports like cricket, the Australian Open, which is played in the heart of summer in January, these competitions are going to have to move, as Martin Rice has said here, Dr. Martin Rice, I beg your pardon, these schedules, these scheduled tournaments are going to, have to, going to have to move to spring and autumn. But more importantly, it's the grassroots. It's the kids. It's, it's your local newspaper, Charlie, that the kids that read that and the, the, you know, the stories in there, they're the ones that will be affected. How does this make yeah. you feel? And because obviously kids, you know, our summer game, going to the beach and playing beach mm. Basketball, Luca, going for a surf. Yeah. You know, you love your surfing, Gusty, but unfortunately you might just have to wait over New Year's and not go into the beach because guess what? It might be too hot. And uh, uh, those no, glaciers... No, I think surfing, might be, the, surfing yeah. might be the one sport yeah. that actually benefits from climate change because the random weather events are going to create bigger waves. <laughs> yeah, and, actually, the, and sea levels will rise. Up. Sea levels will also rise. Um, oh, okay. But I'll tell you what, Josh the sea Bales levels... is a surfing expert as well. Surfing, that's right. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy, this stuff. And this, this has come onto the agenda because Pat Cummins, Australian fast bowler, was an mm. advocate of this, um, the, the Climate Council and their report. Um, the report was called Game, Set, Match, Calling Time on Climate in Action. So, yeah. you know, he's giving voice to a wonderful cause, something so important. And the fact is that, Temperatures could hit 50 degrees Celsius in Sydney and Melbourne come 2040. Um, and you can't mm. play sport in 50 degrees. And it's going to cause issues for sport. But more importantly, it's going to cause issues for general life, not just sport. Sport is a tiny little aspect in all this. Uh, exactly. What are your thoughts? Exactly. And it's great that we've got Pat Cummins, uh, you know, a, a wonderful, terrific voice in, in the community, sharing this and, and, and bringing it to light. 
Now, I want to get your thoughts, Gusty and Gil, on this and go for your life. Go for your life. Tell me what you really think. All right. So, obviously, what you've just mentioned there is just one aspect of the whole world and society that will be affected by climate change. There is so many things that will be like extinct or no longer happen because of the global warming, sea levels rising, all the effects of climate change. And I think what you've just mentioned about the sport is just something that is going to let people know that it's going to be a little bit more close to home, that this That's thing right. that like people can't see, it's not, it's not tangible global warming, but sport being moved, events being cancelled is something that maybe will make people realise that it's actually things in their life that they are used to will begin to change because at the moment, no one's really, it's not something that you can notice on an everyday scale. Correct. But we need more people like, what's it going to take? The amount of celebrities, uh, academics, people around the world who have a big following saying we need to make a change. Like you look at David Attenborough's latest Netflix show, he said this is his latest um, Netflix show said what the actual, what, what needs to be done in a broken down process. But Pat Cummins has just come out and said this. This is just a, he's going to touch a few people. David Edinburgh is going to touch a lot of people. Yep. There's, lots of th- there's lots of people that had have made a noise, but this is just one person making some noise, which has brought it up in the media. But... Yeah. To be honest, I think it needs like the Paris Climate Agreement. Donald Trump pulling out of that a few years ago was was terrible, but big change is going to happen soon. And if it doesn't come soon, it's going to be touching a lot more people closer to home. Absolutely. Luke has just taken the words right out of my mouth. There, you can tell I was an educated young man. Yes. Um, I've got nothing more. I'm That's, speechless. Yeah, and it's what can I say? Like. We, what Luca was saying there, we, we cannot, at the moment, it's the effects of climate change aren't, aren't negatively affecting us in real life. We're not really getting those real eye-opening moments where we're like, wow, this is actually, so we need to do something about this. Yeah, that's the thing. We we can't science. Science says it and past (laughs) and trends says it. We I tell you what, if we wait till the temperatures get to 50 degrees Celsius in 2040, it's a long way back. We're coming from a long way back there. We need to start this now. And I tell you what, it's us. It's us. We're, we're around, you know, we're the, we're the next gen coming through. We're the ones that need to tell these older guys, <laughs> I'm not, nothing against older guys, but we're the ones that are going to feel the effects of this and potentially our kids. Um, and, uh, Look, it just Pat Cummins, kudos to him for doing this, putting light to something so important, and it is really important, and I'm glad we're talking about it because it needs to be talked about a lot more, and it's as simple as that, and I don't think there's much more to add there other than look at the science and... You know, I love, I love how you've, you've created a platform, and now you're using this platform to to educate people and create social change and social awareness to the issues that matter in society. That's just spot on, Gusty. And that's why, that's why we've got these platforms for that reason. I reckon, Luca, for the, better. Reckon, uh, the ABC producers are listening to this and they're going to get Luca on Q&A the way he's going right now. 
Oh, without a doubt. But I'll tell you what, we've got him locked in at the sports hour for a weekly <laughs> weekly slot. Just oh, he'll get the he'll get the contact. He'll be contacted after this anyway. And then we got the NRL expert as well, who uh, he will be certainly uh, contacted and uh, explored further. Um, but we'll move on. All right. Perspective. We've got to move on. And I've got a heated topic. It's the A. It's not so heated. Sorry, nowhere near as heated as the importance of climate change. But it's the AFL expansion to Tassie and NT. Alistair Clarkson, this is what he had to say about it. He wants Tassie to come into the AFL as well as NT. Have 20 teams. Um, and that'll, that'll, that, that means it's a national competition. I'll tell you exactly what he said. Our club, in actual fact, I think is strong Hands on the down. view that in a national competition, it would be fantastic for Tassie to have their own team. I've also got the view, and I'm not sure if it's shared by the club, that if we're truly a national competition, we should have a side out of the net, of the NT. Um, so he's saying, Tassie, NT, come in, 20 teams. Each team plays each other once, and that, that adds up to 19 games. And then the 20th game is a game against a blockbuster opposition. So maybe... GWS v Gold uh, v Sydney play each other twice, for example. But what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I'd love to know what you think. Are you for it or against it? Look, Max, I am completely for it. Hang on. I think Tasmania definitely deserves a team. But where it comes in is the whole economic standpoint of the league. And if there is enough money for these the Northern Territory and Tasmania to hold a team because no matter how much, no matter how much it would suit the state or how well it would work, it's the fact of the matter is, is there enough money for these teams to be viable to work yeah. in these, in these new places? Well, I, I guess yeah. what, guess what my answer, sorry, what? Gil, and, I, and I'm butting in here, but my answer is yes, because what? I know for a fact that interstate players in their first year after they get drafted, they get their rent paid for them, their rent. That's a lot of money going, you know, first year players are earning enough money from their salaries to pay for rent. But guess what? It's the AFL that's actually paying for the rent for these players. Now, like that's the economic decisions they're making. And that's, that's when they say there's economic, oh, you know, we can't afford it. Well, guess what? Like, I'm pretty sure they can. That's just an easy cop-out. It's an easy way of just getting themselves out of this. And Tassie, like, there should be a team in Tassie, I think. NT is probably a little bit of a stretch just because of the the dynamic there. And, um, you know, they're probably not quite at the stage of introducing an AFL team because there's probably – there's no stadium there. But guess what? Mm. They're not far away from it at all. Um, They've got a competition. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that AFL players get looked after. Look, I was speaking to one of my mates who's a high-performance rugby player making his way up through the ranks. And he was saying, like, you can't make money in, in the rugby union league until you're at least 22, 23, 24. We could probably get him on if you're interested. But, look, an 18-year-old is going right to make now. good money, get, get himself looked after as soon as he gets into the AFL. Hmm. So there's definitely cuts that can be made, but it's whether or not the AFL Players Association will agree with that and 
uh, there'll be uproar if if mm, if maybe mm. they don't. You know mm. what I mean? Mm, mm. You know, the other thing to consider is considering all the arguments and the discussion surrounding the standard of the game is that when you introduce more teams and you take it to a twenty um uh twenty team competition, is that the stand that the, the, the talent is reduced in terms of how much talent one club can get through the door which could um, adversely affect the uh, um, the quality of the game which is you know seems yeah, to be a, a, a massive talking point at the beginning. Oh really? <laughs> I do. Oh really? You know oh, really? right? Sorry to cut you off Charlie but I just disagree and I've just got to cut you off because I'm, it's That's nonsense. Okay. Um, there's 50, there's about 48 players on each AFL list and like th- 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 that's enough for a full this interview's re- over. Yeah. <laughs> That's enough for a full <laughs> reserves team. Like, there's so many players that are left mm-hmm. outside of the best 22. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know, but I don't think, like, if you consider the fact that, um, just think about the, the 50 best players in the competition being having, having to be stretched over, 50 te- over 20 teams instead of 18. Like, it's definitely going to... Yeah. Actually, you know what? It, it, leads us, it lends itself to an even more interesting discussion, which is whether the actual quality of the player um, sort of it corresponds with the quality of the game. Because I think that if you had, you know, players that were 15% less talented, but the game was played in a different way, it could potentially be of a greater standard than just if it's really great players but playing sort of high congestion um, football. It's an interesting discussion. Yeah. But I, I see your point of view as much as I was offended by what you said about me. Um, but um, <laughs> I didn't say anything about but, you. Um, yeah, no, you didn't. Just, you didn't. just the Sorry, opinion. Uh, Sorry, yeah, I you shouldn't have cut you off there, though. Correct. No, that's have. okay. I'll be back. That, that was um, bad behavior. Heat of the moment. No, it's your show. But um, <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's your, I'm, I'm in it's, favor. I'm I'm in favor of a Tasmanian team. But it's true that yeah. you want. Actually, you know what? I think that we could. Why we don't need two extra teams? Like you said, Northern Territory is a stretch. Um, I think that what the AFL could do is continue to play more games in the Northern Territory. I think that would be great. Um, uh, I love the Dreamtime game, Dream game at the G, but it would also be great to keep on doing it in the heart of Australia. Um, and I think we could, yeah, the AFL could keep on playing games in um, the Northern Territory and say, you know, that way that uh, North Melbourne and Hawthorne are playing games, you know, they go to Tasmania to play. You could have a Tasmanian team so North and Hawthorne wouldn't have to go there anymore and then North and Hawthorne or some other teams could start playing more games in the Northern Territory, sort of like Melbourne do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that's, um, that is perfect, yeah. Charlie. You've wrapped, you've, that's you've why I think that we could well. just get one Tasmanian team and just have a 19-team competition and then yeah. there'd be a top eight and, yeah. No, I, I disagree. Uh, we've got a new perspective. This is Sam Larratt. <laughs> I this saw is Sam Larratt in the corner. Mentioned earlier. And Hello, Sammy Larratt. Nice to join your podcast. He it is a pleasure to have you on, Sammy. And guess what? We're going to be getting you on. How is the rugby going? Are you close? And how, how's the season going? And are you close for playing for the Wallabies? How far away? Uh, oh, well, Maxie, I'll... I'll, I'll I'll leave that for later, but first I want to touch on what you guys were talking on about earlier. Yeah. I would like to say that you're talking about how Northern Territory and Tasmania should um, bring in sides into the AFL. Am I correct? Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. So personally, like I, I would love I'm on your side, Max. I think that that would be great for the growth of the game. But yeah. I think going, making it a state locations of Tasmania or the territory locations of Tasmania and Northern Territory, I think 
maybe if they aren't fully prepared to have that increase of having the funding and they don't have the support behind them, yeah. you need to start looking into regional areas. You know, like a lot, like majority of the teams are within the city of Sydney and Melbourne and Western Australia. You need to go into the regional parts of Victoria, like like, I'm, like I'm a Wollongong place. Yeah, like Wollongong. Like I'm sure, yeah. like players, because because at, at the moment in cities, people are trying to go out to the country, so it's not a burden for a play AFL players to get pushed out of their cities to a regional yeah. area, and I think if you push more regional areas to have a team that they can actually go for that's around them, then a lot more kids will get into the game because they're not in, they're not eight hours away from Melbourne supporting a Melbourne team. They're two hours away or an hour away from a regional town that's, that that's in the AFL. And I think that would really boost um, the, the attendance of games, even if they don't have a massive stadium. Um, I feel like like a lot of teams I know in other sports have um, places in regional um, places in Victoria, New South Wales, and yeah. maybe one of their three home games are in a regional area. But yes. that boosts that that whole um, yep. support network for those regional yeah. um, teams. It's if a there massive, were to be. yeah. You are thinking like a game development person at the AFL. And it's it's like it's got go, go they're massive growth corridors for the game, um, like Canberra for example. You know the population there they haven't got an AFL team. If, they, if there was an AFL team there, you know that that's massive for that whole that whole mm, um, yeah that whole region. Um, and yeah, you're spot on, Sam. It's yep, yeah, you are spot on. You're on the money. <laughs> yeah, because like people in Canberra, their closest team would be GWS. But for them, that's that's a four-hour drive. That's that's you know, like so, so they they won't they'll have to sort of take a weekend out to go look at a game. Whereas if there was a if there was a team in Canberra where there's a large population and AFL is booming all across the country, it's not just in the the major um, AFL like historically AFL um, dominant states like Western Australia, Victoria, and now becoming Sydney mm. uh, or New South Wales. But I think that. If little little ones like Canberra, and I know Northern Territory would be regional because it's a regional territory, yeah. but Tasmania is booming with AFL. It's very hard to get sports to grow there because they're very, um, they're very isolated where they are. But in that respect, they have a very strong feeling of community, and a lot of those communities revolve around sports. And because AFL is such a booming sport in Australia, AFL is the sport that communities revolve around and have a lot of um, interactions solely due to the um, sporting competitions. Yeah, Sam, you are on the money there, and um, thanks for sharing your thoughts because. You're spot on, and you're thinking like a um, like a guy that works in the game development area at these sport well, sporting industries. Um, it's so crazy how much of a broad view he has on the whole sporting industry. But absolutely, we forgot to we forgot to mention that he's represented Australia in rugby union, gone through the ranks of the uh, Melbourne Melbourne Rebels Academy from when he was 16. Correct. Um, absolute gun at rugby, all round athlete. 
and he still has this broad perspective on all sports. Mm. He's an absolute star at rugby, which is why I've got no idea why he's talking about football. Let's come back to me. <laughs> yes. And that's, mm. uh, Luca, I second everything you've said there. He's a very talented man. And, and as, as he spoke there, you can tell he's a future captain of the Wallabies and I'm very much so looking forward to it. Now, Charlie. All right, I'm back here, Max. And can I just say that what I think is unbelievable about this interview in particular is that I've come on as usual, but I'm surrounded by all these different young men, same age as me, and we've all spoken about sport with such passion and, you know, I would say intelligence. And it was, it was somewhat of a chaotic interview, but at the end of the day, it goes to show how passionate we are about sport um, and how invested we are in the future of sport, whether it's rugby, whether it's football. I mean, we had people talking about footy in Tasmania with sort of an empathy and an insight that aren't from Tasmania at all. We're obviously all invested and interested in the future of sport in general. And that's what I thought um, was sort of quite interesting about this interview in particular. Absolutely. And but, it's worked out brilliantly. And Charlie... I appreciate you coming along, doing the interview, and also doing it in such unique circumstances. Um, and just that's you, okay. You, 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 you've, you've come good yet again, and thanks very much for joining the sports. Oh, much that's all right. Once again, thanks for having us, and thanks for tolerating. Thank you for tolerating us. That message is to all the viewers that have been listening and thinking, "What are these young Americans up to?" But once again, thanks for having us. And that rounds out the Sports Hour for today. It's been a big show yet again. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we've had plenty there for you to listen to, uh, plenty of interesting discussions and different aspects to sport and all sorts of things. So I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in yet again. Really appreciate that. Uh, if you haven't followed our Twitter page, at Sports Hour FM, jump onto that. Also, make sure you like the Brimbank Neighbourhood House Facebook page and also Live FM and that Facebook page. Um, that's where you'll get all the info for the show and all the other shows on Brimbank Live. Uh, so we thank all those partners in supporting the show. And uh, yet again, thank you for tuning in and I hope you have a wonderful week. With thanks to the city of Brimbank across our neighbourhood and the world, the Sports Hour with Max Hadzoglu on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Mm-hmm.